name is uh, Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff here at, uh, at Church on the Trail. I'm thankful that you're here. I think God's got you here for a reason. Got you up either if you're watching online or if you're here uh, physically here. We appreciate it. We're thankful that God has got you here this morning. Before we get started with the message uh, <clears throat> this morning, I want to uh, we're going to worship the Lord uh, through the receiving of an offering, and I, I, I kind of have wanted to really begin sort of going through some different ministries and, and, and what and where the giving and the generosity in this church, where it goes. Just last week, our Generations Ministry, which is a foster care prevention ministry, we work with DFACS, Department of Family and Child Services, and it's, it's a family preservation foster care prevention kind of ministry. Last week we got, and I think I mentioned a little bit of this last week about kids in our community are sleeping on the floor and you can't have a kid sleeping on the floor. Well, last week we got four, four, right? Yeah, we got four referrals from defects. One family had seven kids. One family had four kids. One family had three and two, six. Oh, all told, it's like two football teams worth of kids that are sleeping on floors and we'll be in ultimately over the next, you know, few weeks providing beds, uh, you know, bed frame, bed sheets, uh, blankets, you know, whatever, pillows to get those kids. Kids don't need, in the United States, kids don't need to be sleeping on the floor. And if we honestly, maybe I'm not supposed to say it's in church, but if we leave the solution up to the federal government, they'll mess it up. It's up to the churches. It's up to the body of Christ to step in and love on people. And as we go in there, they all get Bibles. And <clears throat> when we can develop a relationship with them and, uh, and speak Jesus into their lives, that's what we do. It's an incredible ministry. That's just an example of what happens with the generosity of the folks in our church. And so we're thankful for that. And you can see on the screen uh, five different ways that you can give. There's boxes, one right there, one right there, and out here in the hall. We don't pass buckets around in the days of covid but you can drop it in there. You can Venmo it. Um, you know, you can go to churchonthetrail.org slash give. You can text. All that info is up there. So uh, <clears throat> we appreciate it. Uh, it makes a difference in our community, and it makes a difference. Jesus, they just sang the song. He changes everything, and he does. He changes everything. And so when we can speak him into the lives of the community, every opportunity, man, every opportunity. So let me pray over that, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for... Your grace and your mercy, Lord, we thank you um, for, for what you're doing in our community, what you're doing in our church family. Lord, we pray a blessing over uh, this offering that you would give us wisdom and discernment to responsibly use it to grow your kingdom. Lord, as we move into the community, and in a, whether it be in our homeless ministry or whether it be in our Joyful Hearts ministry, uh, that goes out into uh, assisted living centers or generations or whatever it is. Lord, let us make sure that we always keep focused on you and not the stuff. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would double and triple uh, this offering uh, to be used for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, so we are, uh, we've been on about a three or four-week little detour off of Romans. We've been walking through the book of Romans, and, <clears throat> and we've been on a little bit of a detour the last couple of weeks. We talked about giving and, and generosity and grace and the gospel. Today, we're, we're jumping back into Romans, and we're in, we've got a bunch of little series inside of 
uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We're, in, we're about in the middle of one we call, we're calling Blueprint, where we're looking at Romans 9, 10, and 11. Today we are going to be in chapter 10, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 13, predominantly 9 through 13, but really starting in verse 5. And uh, this, this uh, series is called Blueprint. Today's message is kind of salvation's blueprint. It's salvation's blueprint. Last time we were in Romans, which was, I think, about four weeks ago, we ended in verse 4. And verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is the end of the law. So for everyone who believes. So belief, belief is important, y'all. Belief is a central sort of component to this whole thing. And so belief is important. And our text today starts on the heels of of verse 4, which is really, it's a shocking statement. And you may not even really realize how shocking a statement that is, but for those first century hearers or readers of the word of this verse, shocking statement that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and that it's all about believing. It's not about doing. And so this passage starts on the heels of that. So look at verse 5. should be on the screen. <clears throat> for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So God's righteousness is opposed to man's righteousness. Better said, it flies, it really it flies in the face of, of man's way of reaching God. Man tries to reach God through stuff, through doing stuff, through obedience, through, through trying to keep the law, through works, by just maybe doing the very best that he can. Now, there's a big flaw in that approach. And if you look, if, if you can read my chicken scratch on the screen, if righteousness is based on the law, then you better be perfect. If it's based on the law, then you better keep the law perfectly. That's what, that's what that says. And the point here is that there's really two ways to become righteous. Number one way is that, is by keeping the law perfectly, by never sinning in, in word, deed, or thought. By, by, if, you, if you're going to keep the law perfectly, then you better keep it perfectly. You better not ever sin. And if you can do that and never sin, not even once, word, deed, or thought, then you could be declared righteous. Way number one. Way number two is this. By trusting and resting in the righteousness of a first century rabbi named Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and stands before me and you as a perfect, as the perfect sacrificial redeemer to make a sinner right before God. Those really are your two options. Look at verse, that's verse 5. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith, which is verses, versus the righteousness based on the law from verse 5. So the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Well, what is it? It is the righteousness based on faith. If the righteousness based on faith could talk, that's really what Paul's saying. If it could talk, what would it say? It would say this, the word is near you. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, that's a little, that verse, those couple of verses, a little kind of hard to understand, but Paul is looking back at Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
And, that, and that's Moses is addressing the, the people of Israel. Moses, the guy that went up on the mountain, hung out with God, um, came down with the Ten Commandments. That's Moses. So Moses is in this third kind of uh, talk with the people of Israel, and he explains to them. He says, now what I'm commanding y'all today is really not too hard. It's not beyond your reach. You don't, you don't have to reach up in the heavens and pull something down, and you don't have to reach down in the, in the pit and pull something up. He said, no, man, the word is super close to you. He is, he's close to you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart so you can obey it. In other words, the people, they knew exactly what they had to do. The message was as close as their heart and their mouth. And so Paul takes that in Deuteronomy 30 and he applies that in Romans 10 to Christ. Christ has provided our salvation by becoming a man, by coming to earth and walking alive out of death. He is right in front of us. Salvation is right in front of us. He comes to us. He comes to us just as we are, just as we are, just as you walked in this morning, just as as if you're watching online and you got up and you ate some breakfast and you're sitting on the couch watching, he comes to us just as we are and all we need to do is respond and accept that gift. Now that gets us up to verse 9 and I want to land kind of on 9 through 13. I want to dig into those five verses. So let me ask you a question. Of all the needs that people have, and we're needy people, y'all. We have lots of needs. But of all of those needs, what is the greatest need? What's the greatest need? Is it, is it politics? Like we need a solid, honest, hardworking politician. Well, yeah, we all chuckle at that, especially the honest part. Well, if that's our greatest need, and y'all, that obviously is a need, but if that's our greatest need, then when Jesus showed up on the scene, he'd have showed up as a politician. Is it finance? And if, well, if that was the need, if that was the greatest need, then when he showed up on the scene, he would have showed up as an economist or as a banker. Is it worldwide peace? We need worldwide peace, don't get me wrong. But if that was our greatest need, then when Jesus showed up on the scene, he would have showed up as a diplomat. Well, what is our greatest Need. What, well, like, what is it? And we don't have to guess about it. Look at Luke <clears throat> chapter 19 in verse 10. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation is our greatest need, clearly. He came to seek and to save the lost. Lostness is our greatest need. To be saved is our greatest need. To be rescued from the pit is our greatest need. And my prayer is, Lord, impress that on our minds and in our hearts this morning. Our desperate need, like desperate need, particularly in America, y'all, for what Jesus brings to the table, it has never been so apparent, at least in my lifetime, it's never been so apparent than the season of life that we are in right now. Turn your TV on. Get on your phone and look at what's going on in the world and it is so obvious that the world is in desperate need of Jesus. So Lord, impress that on us this morning. Impress that on the, on the hearts and in the minds of the people in our country because we need you. We are so desperately, Lord, in need of you. 
Let me ask you another question. How many of y'all have seen uh, the movie Titanic? You can raise your hand. It has to be more than that. And guys, you can admit to seeing the movie Titanic. Released in December of 1997, right? Which is crazy that was so long ago. But it's a great movie. And if you remember, RMS Titanic was this massive real-life cruise ship uh, from the early 1900s. And it set sail with different kind of people uh, in it. You had the the ridiculously wealthy who had the finest uh, accommodations. Had silk sheets. They had they ate off the finest china and beautiful silverware and, and ridiculous food and yada, yada, yada. But then you had what they called the steerage, if you remember them saying that. The steerage, which is in the, in the belly of the ship underneath the decks, uh, way below. And in the steerage of the ship, you had the riffraff. That's where they, the, the nothings, the, the unimportance, uh, the, the poor folks, that's where they were. They were in the steerage of the ship. Kate Winslet played Rose, sweet Rose, upper-class Rose, who was, um, who was engaged to this super-rich aristocrat guy named Cal. So you had sweet Rose, and then you had um, Jack. Jack was played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and, and, and Rose and Jack fell in love. And, you know, Susan, I'm going in a rabbit trail. Susan used to say to me, you know, do you love me like Jack loved Rose? You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like we're hanging off the front of the ship, you know, or something. But I digressed. Anyway, you had the riffraffs, the nothings in the steerage, and then you had the muckety-muck aristocrats, right? Ship hits an iceberg and the ship sinks. About 1,500 or so people die. And when that final number comes back from their office in New York, it was 1,517 folks that died. And that, on that list, they had them categorized. The people were categorized. How many categories do you think they had for those people? They had two. They had two categories because it really was only two categories that really mattered. Saved and lost. That was at the top of the list. Saved and and lost. Y'all, that is, at the end of the day, that is the thing that is going to matter more than anything else ever in the history of the planet. Are you saved or are you lost? Are you saved or are you lost? Look at these next five verses. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Remember that. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now back up real quick to verse 8 for a little context. Verse 8 says that the word is near you. The word is near you in your, in your what? In your, in your heart and in your mouth. In your mouth and in your heart. Okay, so he says, the Bible says that, that it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's in there. Well, what do you do with what is in your mouth and in your heart? Verse 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So right now, January 17th, you confess and you believe, and God says you will be saved. You will be saved. 
It's a promise, y'all. You don't have to bring Jesus down, and you don't have to somehow lift Jesus up. He's come, and it is done, and it is finished. He's already here. You remember verse 4. A couple of weeks ago, what does verse 4 say? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. His work is done. When he said it's finished on the cross, it meant his work was done. Don't keep crucifying him over and over again. He is so close. He's waiting for you, and he's so, so close. He's in your heart, and he's in your mouth, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And that's not like Ed saying that. That's not like the wisdom somehow according to Ed. It, no, it is what God has said. It is what he has promised that you won't live eternally separated from him in a literal horrific hell. It means that you will get a new heart. It means that you will get a new nature. It says that you will be a new creation all over scripture Paul talks about. You'll be a new creation. And one day you will spend eternity with the Lord and with his redeemed. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. What's the confession that you make? What is it? It's that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the Bible says. Do we really realize what that means today? You will make him the Lord of your life. Well, here's the deal. At the core of the core, it means that you will remove yourself from the throne because you have put yourself on the throne. So you will remove yourself from the throne and you will replace yourself with him. You'll take yourself off the throne, you'll put Jesus on the throne because salvation is not some intellectual, just some intellectual belief where you say, okay, yep, yep, I got that. Got that, got that, and you end up with this little, this little line of check boxes. No, it's not that. It's doing really what y'all all did when you walked in this room and you sat in one of those chairs. You acted on a belief that that chair would hold you. You acted on the belief, the trust, the faith that that chair would hold you, that it would support you, that that chair wouldn't let you down, that that chair would never, ever forsake you that you would be safe and secure when you sat in that chair, that you would have peace when you sat in that chair, that you, and you trusted. At the end of the day, it's what you did. You trusted that the legs on that chair would support you. So what we're talking about is trusting Jesus. It is committing and surrendering everything to him. It is saying, you are the Lord and I am not. So you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but then you also believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, y'all. And when you believe that God raised him from the dead, that's a big deal, right? When you believe that God raised him from the dead, you believe all the rest of it. You have to because it, it just kind of naturally flows. Now hang with me. The resurrection is the crucial event in history. We, we know that he is the son of God by the power of the resurrection. And so if you believe in the resurrection, you got to believe in the crucifixion. If you believe in the crucifixion, then you have to believe in the incarnation. The incarnation is just when, when Christ was born, when, when he became a man. And if you believe in the resurrection, and you believe in the crucifixion, and you believe in the incarnation, 
then you have to believe in his deity. And all that means is his godness. You have to. Y'all, you have to. You look at this whole verse now. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 10 kind of kind of explains and, and expounds, I guess, a little bit on verse 9, that you believe with your heart and that belief justifies you. Paul uses that word a lot, justifies, justification. And all that really means is that God has declared you righteous, that God has, that he's pardoned you. You ain't innocent, but you're declared righteous by the Lord. And then with your mouth, you confess and that you're saved. So by, by prayer, by prayer to God, you confess with, with your mouth your belief and your buy-in to the finished work of Christ. Belief and confession lead and result in, sal in salvation. Belief and confession. Belief and confession. It's those two things. But now I want you to understand this, because you've got to understand this. People mess this up a lot. Don't you ever, ever, ever reduce this whole thing down to reciting some words or even assenting to some set of facts and checking the little fact boxes. Don't reduce this belief and confession down to I repeat this prayer or I repeat that prayer or I... I say this or I say that or I walk the aisle and it's that that saves you. It is not that that saves you. Jesus Christ dying on the cross and coming out of grave alive, that's what saves you. Y'all get that? To believe and to confess, it's all about an all-in commitment. Now, with that said too, though, confession is important. It is absolutely important. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. He said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And a thousand years earlier, Psalm 107 says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're redeemed, say you're redeemed. If you're saved, say you're saved. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, say that he is your Lord and Savior. And that's what was written a thousand years earlier. If you're redeemed, say so. But again, y'all, I mean, I'm not trying to beat this up, but walk in an aisle for a long time. Preacher's been standing on a stage begging people to walk the aisle. Often it's putting a notch in a belt or something. Walk in the aisle does not save you. It is Jesus and his work that saves you. And yes, absolutely, faith is the instrument that is used. Faith and trust and belief is the instrument that is used, but it is Jesus, period, period, nothing else, nothing else. It is all about him. And here, Jesus is saying, look, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to have to be ashamed of you. 
and verse 11 kind of tells us um, the mark, maybe, the, yeah, the mark that you're trusting. It says, for Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Y'all heard a story from a Billy Graham crusade, a week-long revival, and I think it was in Los Angeles in the 1950s, and the Holy Spirit tent revival. And I ain't talking about an eight-man tent. I'm talking about a thousand-man tent, huge tent, ladies in the back, and she is weeping. And one of, one of Billy Graham's guys sees her back there, and he goes back, and he's talking to her, and he says to her, come on down front and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this lady says, that ain't happening. She's like, there's way too many people up in here, and don't get me wrong, I want to be saved, but can't we just do it back here? And, and the man said, no, you can't, you can't be saved back here. Next night, same thing, same song, same time, same Holy Spirit starts jumping all over this lady. Same guy goes back, same thing happens. He says, come on down and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And she says, I just can't do it. It's just, she's weeping convicted. She said, I just can't do it. It just scares me too bad. I, I can't, I don't want to get up in front of all, in front of all these people. Can't I just get saved? I want to. But can't I just get saved back here? And he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, you can't be saved back here. I know what y'all are thinking, but hang with me for a minute. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday rolls around. Same thing. Man goes back there, woman's weeping. Come on down uh, front, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. She says, yes, I will. I will. I will do anything. She says, I am in. I am all in. I will do whatever you say. I will go where, wherever you say. Whatever he tells me to do, I will do it. I am a million percent in. I just want to have peace with God. I'm in. Sign me up. Show me where to sign. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I will do whatever he tells me to do. And the man said, now you don't have to come down front. You don't have to come down front because he will save you right where you are. Y'all, it's a promise. He will always save you right where you are. In the middle of your being unlovable, he will save you. In the middle of the nastiest, heinous sin, he will save you. In the middle of the deepest, darkest pit of despair imaginable, he will reach down and pull you out of the pit and save you. It is a promise. It is a promise. Now here what we're talking about, when Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to have to be ashamed of you. I think about myself, if I could go down to Aflac on Wenton Road, get up on top of the tower with a microphone and just be screaming in the microphone, you know, Jesus is my Lord, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you're my leader, you're my forgiver, and if they kill me for doing it, then I'm kind of okay. So I'm telling you today, don't let your pride keep you from coming to him. Don't let your pride, he's as close as your heart and your mouth are. The Bible says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He is so near. It says the word is near you. But you have to confess with your mouth and you have to believe in your heart. And God promises in that moment to save you. It is not, and I know I say this all the time, but it's just the more I think about it and the more I'm in the word, it is not just the good news. It is the best news ever. What news could be better than that? Nothing. It is the best news ever. And as incredible as those first few verses are, and they are, because the truth claims and the promises in those verses are huge and they're awesome, but as huge and awesome as they are, verses 12 and 13 are equally as beautiful 
and is comforting and is, and is assuring. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Y'all, the richness of his salvation. It is like his response to our response is to shower us, to lavish all over us, to love all over us, to bestow, the Bible says, to bestow on us the, the, the incalculable, the immeasurable richness of his love and of his grace and of, and of his mercy. It's like the creator of the universe says, in my economy, there is no distinction between any of you people. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no male. There is no female. There is no black. There is no white. There is no brown, blue, green, purple, like whatever. All there is is bucket one of lost sinners, bucket two of saved sinners. That's all there is. And he says, I'm, I'm the same Lord of all of you people. And then he says, like, I'm going to just flow my riches everywhere. If you have bowed the knee and confessed me as your Lord and Savior, the riches are going to flow to everyone who calls on my name. And the promise is everyone who calls on my name will be saved. Will be saved. And we're not talking about today the doctrine of election. We're not. We've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again, but we ain't talking about it today. But here's what I will say about that. Sounded like Forrest Gump. But here's what I'll say. The Bible says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say some or 25% or half. It doesn't say the good people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say that the perfect people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say that the black people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say the white people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't. It doesn't say the, the well-dressed churchgoers will be, that, who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say the people who checked and went to church every single Sunday for 20 years who call upon the name. It doesn't say that, y'all. It doesn't say that. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I believe the entirety of Scripture says that God's, it's God's desire that all of mankind would repent and turn to him. Repent and turn to him and believe. And I'm saddened because I know that ain't going to happen. But the promise is there, y'all. The promise to call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. Don't care nothing about your past. Call on me. Don't care what you did 10 years ago. Call on me. Really don't care what you did yesterday. Call on me. That's what he says. Are there consequences to the junk that you did 10 years ago? Very well may be. Earthly, temporal consequences. Call on me. Call on me. But it makes me sad, truthfully, that most people are going to say no and reject him. And you know what? The fact is that most people will reject him and say no. It doesn't affect the offer. The fact that most people will reject him and say no, it doesn't affect the Lord's desire. It doesn't. He wants us, all of us, to say yes. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
I want you to watch a little video. It's Martin Luther King. And <clears throat> Martin Luther King Day, Jr. Day is tomorrow. All of us in school and so forth, we've all sort of heard all the speeches. I have a dream speech. You know, all of the speeches. First and foremost, Martin Luther King Jr. was a preacher of the gospel. So this is from a message that he preached in 1960, I think. He's a preacher of the gospel. I want you to listen to this. Let us start it. 
You also call everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. So what is it? What do we do? What do we do with that today? Like what do we do? Well, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're already a Christ follower today, you've been following Jesus for a long time, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 10 years, or maybe you got saved two weeks ago. I don't know. Either way, the statement, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, is a missional statement for believers. And you're probably thinking, what is he talking about? We have a task as Christ followers in front of us. We have a task. And our task is to encourage more people to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because he will save them. It's a promise from page one to the end of the book. Y'all, it's a promise. Our task is to play some sort of a role. Our privilege, our honor, our task to play some kind of a role in helping to grow the kingdom of God, to grow that everyone bucket. That is the marching orders, crystal clear in Matthew 28. That's the marching orders until he comes back. So for you, what is it that you can do to help grow that everyone bucket? What can you do to play a role uh, in growing the kingdom of God? I'd ask you to, to examine your life just a little bit and see what changes maybe that you need to make to, to allow you the opportunity to intentionally share your story with somebody, with somebody. Somebody that's an atheist, you can argue, does God exist, does God not exist? You can argue. They'll make an argument, you'll make an argument. But you know what they can't argue with? They can't argue with your story unless they just call you a flat-out liar. They cannot argue with your story. Paul, in front of Agrippa, he, you know, the guys, whenever they're asked, they're just like, I don't know about all that, but here's, here I can tell you what happened. Can you imagine when they left the empty tomb they're like, I don't know about all this theology stuff. I just know the dead guy went in and he ain't there no more. They can't argue with your story. So my prayer for you is that God will somehow intersect your life and the life of one or two other people every day who he has ordained into your life to hear your story. That's all. That's all. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have some degree. You don't have to be the smartest peanut in the, bu in the bushel. Just share your story. Nobody can argue with your story. Now, and my prayer is that God would give you the courage to do that and that he would kind of provide the words. Now, if you're not a Christian today, you've got some stuff too. If you're somebody who's trying to figure this whole God thing out or if you're somebody who um, you're trying to figure out if this Jesus stuff is actually legit and you're looking for purpose and meaning and, and, <clears throat> and truth and you just had not found it yet maybe and, and your whole life, you knew there's some kind of void there, something, and you tried to fill it with whatever. Could be good stuff you tried to fill it with. You could say, you, you could have been filling that void with your children because I love my children so much, and they just have become, they've gotten on the throne of your life. Or it could be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, I don't know. Could be bad and negative stuff, and it, and it could be good stuff, but you're trying to fill a void that is there with the wrong thing, with the wrong thing. If that kind of describes where you are and you're trying to figure it out, then these next two statements really are specifically for you. Number one is this. You are absolutely not so good 
that you don't need to be saved. You can't be. You can't be. Remember what we said, verse 5 says? If the righteousness is based on the law, then you better be perfect. You better be 1,000% obedient to that law. Zero sin. So you, you cannot be so good that you have no need. Can't be. Sort of a reality check. It's sort of a self-awareness kind of thing. And number two, and is this, this is almost the opposite of that, that you are absolutely not so bad that you can't be saved. That is the biggest lie that I see every day, that people say, you just don't know what I've done. You cannot be so bad that you can't be saved. And it's prideful, really, because what you're saying is that your sin is bigger than God's grace. You just you put yourself right back on the throne if you really want to know the truth. Because you said, he, he may can save you, and he may can save you, but he can't, he can't save me because my sin is bigger than him. So you are not, and you could not ever be, so, quote, bad that you can't be saved. That's one of the most glorious statements I think has ever come into my mind. It's one of the most beautiful things that you can imagine. So my ask of you today, if that's you, is that you just at least consider the offer. My prayer is that you just think about it. Really think about it. Don't let your head hit the pillow tonight without thinking about it. Don't let your head hit the pillow 8, 10, 12 hours from now without at least considering that offer that he makes. Now, you may be convicted right now. The Holy Spirit may be all over you convicting you right now, and you may respond to that right now. I don't know. I'm not going to say, come walk the aisle. You want to walk the aisle? Walk away. That's what, not walk away, walk on down here. I'm not saying you got to do that. I'm not saying you got to blurt the words out, but you got to confess with your mouth. Right? You got to confess with your mouth. You got to believe in your heart. If you're at home watching, get on your knees and just pray. In here right now, if that's you, just pray right there to yourself. And if he, if he gives you a new heart today, let somebody know. Let us know on one of those connection cards. Our prayer team is right back in that back corner. They would love to pray with you. They would love to. It's an honor and a privilege to get to pray with people in our church. And so if that's you, right now, let me just kind of tell you what that looks like. If y'all would close your eyes and kind of bow your heads if you want to. This is, this is just the simple confession. Lord, I repent of my sins and I'm turning toward you. And I do believe that you died on that cross to save me. And I do believe that you ran out of the grave alive. Lord, right now I'm all in. Save me. It's in Jesus' name, amen. That's it. It was not, if you said those words today though, it ain't the words that save you. It's Jesus that saves you. I, I cannot say that enough. It is Jesus Christ and his work that saves you turn it back over to the worship team.